Welcome back to another episode of the Untitled Philosophy Podcast. I am Antonio. David, how are you? That is me. I am well. How are you? I am surviving. Prove it. The theme. Yeah, I got one. All right. I have a hard time finding it sometimes. Oh, 400 beats a minute at this point? I'm immune to the effects of coffee. I need to start just injecting it into my veins. Mm-hmm. Though I have uh, eaten stuff that's been infused with pure caffeine, and that is uh, rocket fuel. I would imagine it would be. Uh, I don't know if I've ever told you. I told you the story. I had like four cups of coffee before noon. A student brought me another cup, and I also ate one of those owl chocolate bars that have each like piece is a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And I think I had like one or two pieces, I was out of it. I was zoned. I was Ugh. running around. I was talking to a student and my pupils were dilated. And she asked if I was like, hi. <laughs> just having and, a stroke. That's all. Carry on. <laughs> like, I mean, what am I supposed to tell? Like, no, I, I just had a lot of coffee. Like, no one's going to believe that. <laughs> because you I shouldn't have made that decision. I didn't, so I thought it was the whole bar. It, the whole thing was a cup of coffee. I didn't realize it was each individual square. And uh, yeah, uh, like medically infused coffee apparently hits me much worse, just straight caffeine. So oh yeah, we learned we learned a lesson that day. <laughs> I bet you did. Um, yeah. Speaking about controlling your bodily functions, including your heart beating out of your neck, we are going to talk about the, the stoic lifestyle or um, I guess stoic philosophy today. So basically here's to feeling good all the time. <laughs> That's exactly what it is not, <laughs> but yes. That's exactly what we should do though. So I, I've already, I talked a little bit about stoicism months ago um, in the summer in relation to COVID, but I didn't do a, a very detailed job because I am not, an expert in this. Um, you, however, have much more expertise uh, than I do. So I'm going to just grill you with a bunch of questions. Um, and I will participate throughout. But it's, it's mostly going to be, you know, you're, you're leading the show here. Uh, I can fake a Joe Rogan thing. Every once in a while, I might be like, oh, wow, cool. As I ah. sip from my, my whiskey cup. Leading um, the show right off a cliff. It'll be fine. So stoicism, there, there's different stoics, but I think there's kind of a general conception or at least a general feel of what the stoics believed. So the first question that I have, um, what do the stoics in general tell us um, specifically about, you know, our emotions and control? Sure. Well, to un- unpack it, a little bit of the history there is really they consider Zeno, who was writing, who was alive around 332 to 262 BC, to be the founder of the Stoic movement. And it doesn't branch very far from there. There's a couple of really big names, but uh, for the most part, they all have a, have a very similar view of what it means to lead the Stoic lifestyle. And it starts with their metaphysics. And their metaphysics is very much uh, founded on what um, Gregory Hayes calls 
the conviction that the world is organized in a rational and coherent way and more specifically that it's controlled and directed by an all-pervading force that the Stoics designated with the term logos. So at its core, you can get a sense of what they're going to say ethically by the, the fact that logos, which is taken up in the biblical sense as the word, and the word was with God and the word was good, that, that original is logos, not so much the word, but logos. And it's this idea that there's an overarching rationality to things. And that overarching rationality isn't just things happen for a reason, but things could not really have happened any other way. Yeah, so I guess, um, to be clear, it doesn't imply that there's something that created the rationality, like in a strict way, right? It's the universe had kind of one instantiation of itself, and it had to be this way in order for it to unfold in a manner that it did. So right. there's kind of a, if you, were to, if you were to break the universe open, you could see the you know, the rational connections in the sense that it's a logical connection to the next step. There's no inherent chaos or weird mutations that happen. Right. Yeah. Good. Just wanted to clear that up. I've got this, I've actually got a decent quote here that, that will capture that. Again, from Gregory Hayes, he says, all events are determined by the logos and follow it in an unbreakable chain of cause and effect. Stoicism is thus from the onset very deterministic system that appears to leave no room for free will or moral responsibility. One day we'll talk about uh, how much that quote upsets me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, yeah, I guess that, that is an interesting aspect, right? Because the, the heart of stoicism is you, you are your own little temple of control and reaction within this uncontrollable universe, but there's no control or freedom of the will, which means what you're doing has already been kind of predetermined in a, in a strict sense. Yeah. So I, I'm interested in, in that tension, but that might be something that we discuss more later on. I, I kind of, that's more of the minutia of the problems that I have with stoicism. Sure, but it's, it's worth poking at that too, because for the Stoics, they also really approve of and encourage their discipline to engage in public life, right? There isn't this detachment. There's not like saying the world is deterministic, so just hide in a shed somewhere because the problems of determinism are, are so manifest in questions of like, how do you even choose to go live in a shed somewhere if all of your physical decisions are already made for you? But you very much get a view of the world that's like, I'm watching a TV program. The TV program was recorded ahead of me. I am watching it, but the only really decision-making, the only really engagement I can have is how I feel towards this thing that I'm watching. Yeah, and so, you, I mean, that, that's weird, right? You, you, you just said it's this, this like emotional reaction that you have towards what you're watching, this pre-recorded program, but then you also have heavy engagement in public life which seems misplaced if the program has already been recorded, right? right. So w when I'm watching a horror movie and I'm screaming, don't go in there, the character is <laughs> not going to turn around and go, thanks. Uh, exactly. There's nothing that I can really interact with. Obviously, it's not the same way you can interact with the world, but it, it seems misplaced to say both of them at the same time. Uh, I have a question later on about, about that, so... Maybe we'll put a pin in that one for now and then focus more on the emotional aspect of what we actually can control and the Stoics have just outlined, right? What's going on in our head, our emotional reactions, our thoughts, that's generally speaking the stuff that we can control or have power over. Yeah. 
So um, I think the next logical question then, because the universe is logical and unfolds in a perfectly rational way, what does it mean to have control of one's reactions, thoughts? Um, I know some Stoics call it as um, being able to temper your, uh, your emotional states, for example. So right. what does this control look like for them? Well, there's a, the, the famous allegory that a lot of the Stoics fall back on. And it's this notion that uh, life is basically like a dog tied to a cart. And the cart is going regardless of whether or not the dog wants it to. And the dog more or less has two choices. The dog can either fight against the pull of the cart and be dragged kicking and screaming to its destination. Or it can lean into where the cart is dragging it. It can walk along with the cart. And not in a physical way, but in an emotional way, we are that, that dog, right? We have the choice to either be pulled along, kicking and screaming, miserable all the way down, or to lean into the events that are going to unfold in our lives and accept them as inevitable as they come and, and try and temper, like you said, temper those emotional reactions to those things. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really pleasant concept to have. Um, but incredibly difficult, right? Uh, if Absolutely. my mail, if my mail is late, so I'm waiting for two packages currently right now, and they're a little late. I could be upset. I could be anxious, but I'm going to just be like, you know what? Canada Post has a bunch of shit on their plate right now. COVID. So there's no need to be really upset about that. But if I were to find out tomorrow that I have like stage four bone cancer, mm-hmm. um, for the Stoic, that's the same thing, right? I mean, it's fundamentally the same thing. If, if the universe has this, at least in my mind, if it, if it has this rational unfolding to it, um, none of these actions are really inherently worse or better for you. They're just things that are out of your control that are happening. So lean into your mail being late the same way you'd lean into having terminal cancer, which seems like a little bit of a jump. Yeah. Um, that is always kind of, bothered me about stoicism because it's very easy i think to apply stoic principles to kind of mundane situations or minor annoyances in life right first world problems um those seem easily enough to be like maybe i shouldn't be mad that the barista you know accidentally gave me two percent instead of one percent but if my car is stolen well it's gonna be harder to lean into absolutely Um, so I'm interested to, I'm interested in, in how one gets from, from that state to the other. Uh, and it may have to, to deal with the, the understanding of maybe tempering emotions uh, or letting things affect you in a way. Like you don't have to, I think, deny the fact that you have cancer and that it's shitty uh, and that your life is going to fundamentally change. I guess the idea there is, is you temper um, how you react to it as best you can. So instead of falling into despair, you might fall into a more case of realism, right? Where, and stop me at any point if I'm wrong, um, instead of despairing about it, maybe you take life a bit more um, serious at the moment and you, you make sure you have all your you know, estates in order, right? You finish up uh, projects that you have goals for before you physically can't anymore. And you don't focus on that thing that you can't control about death you focus on the stuff you can control now with the view of yeah that's going to happen sooner rather than later 
So you're still reacting to it and you still might be upset, but you're, you're tempering the something like, I would assume despair when it comes to cancer or even fear, especially fear. And maybe you, know, you lean into uh, things you can control because at this point you still have the control. I don't have to be anxious or fearing it. It's not happening now, maybe happening later. Right. There you have to bracket that whole notion of taking care of things that you can control because that is the metaphysical problem that you addressed earlier about Stoics. Yeah. But yeah, very, very much the, their, their recommendation would just be part of their three core disciplines. And that's the discipline of perception, which is training yourself to perceive what is within your control and what is outside of your control. The discipline of action, which deals with actions and relations to others. And then the discipline of will, which encompasses your attitude towards those things which are out of your control. So I think for the Stoic, they would genuinely, if you were a genuine Stoic, could say something like, the only difference between your milk your milk and your coffee being 2% versus 1% and having terminal bone cancer is that you've already decided that terminal bone cancer is a harm, having it is a harm to you, and that you are somehow losing out on something that was never guaranteed to you in the first place, right? It's mm-hmm. the, the end of your life, the end of your relationship with others, the end of all of those hopes and dreams you had for the time after reality has taken you out of this life. So it's very, it's very, it's a very difficult to see our way to those conclusions. But if we buy into the idea that anything that happens in the physical reality is more or less out of our control, then the milk and the bone cancer are one, right? It's, it's saying it's one event. That event is neither good nor bad until we make it. So it's, um, it's not an action that was taken against us in any way. So we shouldn't take it personally. And it was never within our control to begin with. So when you are choosing your reaction to it, maybe you choose the one that doesn't cause you more grief. Because as we decide that terminal bone cancer is a harm, that it is the loss of life, a loss of relationship, a loss of ourselves, and all of those things are also harms, really there's only still one event. You have bone cancer. And the way that you lean into that emotionally, if it's with despair and depression and anxiety and grief, those things, all they're doing is harming you on your way to the end that was already predetermined, on the way to the mm-hmm. grave. Now, you know, that's the in regular parlance, that might be somebody as useful as like nudging you with their elbow and saying, well, just, just be happy about it, or just buck up, chum, or just shoulder on, on. And well, that doesn't feel good, but that's another one of those, you know, the discipline of action. They've told me something that I didn't want to hear, but it's happened. I can be angry about it. And that just makes me angry for no reason because my anger has no outlet. And then again, the outcome isn't going to change. If I was going to die of bone cancer or I was going to die of old age, that's going to happen to me regardless. Yeah. Um, I I think you made this distinction as you were talking, but maybe maybe we'll try and flesh it out a bit. Um, If the world falls under this or the universe falls under this logos, this rational thing, right? There, there really is no inherent good or bad action. They're just actions that are, that are necessitated. So you getting bone cancer is not bad, objectively. It's just, it can't be under this world system, I think. Right. Only your reaction to it is the thing that generates the harm. Yes. Um, under the Stoics, 
it seems like good and bad are self-generated concepts or at least self-imposed concepts, right? Um, you can either you know, feel happy about something or treat it in a positive way, or you can feel bad about something and treat it in a negative way. So if someone were to, like obviously, yeah, if someone were to have bone cancer being diagnosed, um, that's not a harm. The harm is what you do to yourself afterwards in this mental realm of going into anxiety, depression, or do you lean into it and understand that it's going to happen, just like we all kind of understand death is going to happen, and you just you don't dwell in the same way and you don't harm yourself by your own thoughts. Right. I'm trying to get to the idea that you know, people are going to listen to this and go, obviously cancer is a bad thing. And yeah. under the Stoics, I think you have to say it's not. It's your reaction to it. Um, anything can be good or bad based on your reaction. Mm-hmm. That's right. You can this, win the lottery and then just be really depressed that you have to make all of the decisions that come with having all of the money that's that's improved your life or could possibly improve your life. Right? Yeah, that can be crippling to some people. It is crippling to some people. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Or you have family that come out of the yin yang and start asking for money, and that's yes. a horrifying experience too. Um. So, I guess my next question still revolves around this idea of emotions, right? Are there when you find out you have 2% milk in your coffee instead of 1%, uh, let's use me. You find out you have lactose milk versus lactose-free milk. So not only can I not really drink this coffee anymore, it's going to physically make me ill um, if there's dairy in it. Do the Stoics say that you should react in a certain way to that in the sense of you shouldn't feel angry or you shouldn't feel personally affronted for example, right? You should just accept it. Um, right. So I guess what I'm asking in a very long way is, are there correct emotional responses that one should have to particular events in life? Or is it more like Aristotle where, you know, the emotional reactions you have are fine. It's once you have them, you should learn which ones you should be tempering and which ones you should tamper down. So which ones to lean into and which ones not to. Is it more like Aristotle or is it more like there are certain emotional states that you should have versus shouldn't have? Um, my reading of Stoicism is that the, um, that the emotions that harm you are the bad ones. So it's not that you have to have or that you should feel happy when someone gives you 2% milk or lactose milk. It's that you should understand what happened that whether what happened was within your control or without of your outside of your control Mm. if it's within your control then possibly you can do something about that like the dog that may be like kicking and screaming along with the cart you might not be able to go back in time and have the milk adjusted but maybe you could ask for the lactose milk lactose free milk Again, we're going to bracket the whole notion of determinism in the Sto- Stoics because yeah. they don't they don't talk about things like that either, right? You would have, um, again, there's this quote here that I found that was fairly useful. Uh, the third discipline, the discipline of will, is a sense of or counterpart to the second discipline of action. The latter governs our approach to things in our control. Those that we do, the discipline of will governs our attitude towards things that are not within our control. Those that are done to us by others and by nature. So your will, you have control over, at least the way that I'm reading the Stoics, you have control over that. Um, You can choose to have 
harmful emotions, emotions that further disturb your calm or further disturb your even neutral approach to the world. Or you can try and lean into positive emotions, but it's not so much you have to respond in X way. It's not so much the, this milk has lactose in it. Okay. And go on with your day. It's, you know, this milk has lactose in it. I should probably not drink that milk. Can yeah. I change the outcome of that, that construction? No. Can I ask for some, another one? Maybe if I've left it already and I drink it, I'm like, uh Oh, my stomach's rumbling because there's definitely lactose in this coffee. And I didn't know it at the time. Throw out the coffee, go on with your day. Yeah, but you don't that, have to be is... you don't have to be happy about it. It's not one of those. Oh, I've thrown it out. I've done a good job. It's not it's not a constant emotional reward system. It's just trying to prevent you from having a negative impact on your own life after an event has happened. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that is more like Aristotle in the sense that um, I'm not. I might be wrong, but. The Stoics can't say that we can control which emotions arise because um, they do say it, that's a natural thing, right? It, these emotions are going to hit us without us actually wanting to. It's very hard to become angry on purpose unless you're concentrating and focusing on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there is ways to do it, right? You can. I think one of the ones is you can, you know, you tighten up your face and you, you clench your fists for long enough and your body will react in this in the same way of, of anger. You can trick your body into doing it, but it's not the same as a natural response. So it's not that you know any individual response I think is a bad or harmful response. It's how you respond to that emotional state. So right. if I were to get, you know, they, they gave me my coffee uh, and I asked them, you, this is lactose free, right? And they say, no, I'm gonna be angry or at least annoyed. That's just gonna happen. It's what happens next that the Stoics, I think, are more interested in, or they should be more interested in, right? Do I lean into the anger, knowing the fact that I couldn't have done anything about it? It's already been done. The universe unfolds this way. Or do I understand that, well, you know, shit happens. I have my options now are to yell at the barista or be like, okay, uh, I'll have another coffee and then hand that one off to someone else, for example. Uh, I think that's where. The, the Stoics would you know find their teeth, right? Because emotional states are just natural. They're biological, they pop up. Um, it's hard to say like which ones are correct and which ones are not because something like yeah. anger might actually be good for you in the face of you know losing a race, for example, if you're an Olympian. Yeah, you probably want to get a bit angry at it. You might even want to lean into the anger so that you train harder for next time. Or most people would say, well, don't lean into the barista and yell at them. It's not going to help it. Right. Yes. Um, most of us will. If you ever walk into a Starbucks, it's a cesspool of evil people. Um, <laughs> if you screw up on their lattes, they will snap at you like you've murdered their child. Oh, I thought you were calling. I thought you were calling the employees at a Starbucks <laughs> evil people. No, they're super nice. They just happen <laughs> to work in hell. They're like they're just paid employees. They don't have any stake in this game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're both on that same page there, at least of understanding of stoicism. It's that these emotional states are going to pop up, you know, fear, anxiety, anger, happiness, lust, all these things are, will come up. It's which ones you decide to foster and lean into is that's really what's going to determine if something is harmful or negative in the acute case or even in the long-term cases. I think you've, I think you've got it. I think there's two parts to it. I think the, the, the Stoics genuinely are putting forward this notion that you can train away certain emotional responses. Mm. 
And this might just be something as simple as what we would now consider cognitive behavioral therapy. It's you know identifying your triggers, identifying the emotion that comes up, and then practicing practicing the emotional response that you want rather than the one that comes naturally to you. But there's also a sense long-term uh, that I think you're tapping into. And there's this um, allegory of being the rock against which the, the waves crash. Right? Your emotional state might come at you like a wave. It might come up out of nowhere and hit you like a wave hits a rock during a storm. But the rock doesn't then move with the wave. It doesn't get swept away by that emotion. So you might get angry in the moment, but the key is to let it hit you like, oh, I'm angry and then defer that anger. Am I angry at something that's in my control or not? It wasn't in my control. What is this anger doing for me in the moment? Nothing. Okay, I can let that anger pass. I don't have to hold on to it and foster it. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, it's the idea of, of dwelling that's problematic and I guess I don't, I don't I don't know if they would agree to it, but the idea of dwelling on the uh, overly happy, I think, is also problematic. Um, it might be a false happiness or delusional state, right? And how do I explain it this way? You have some people in life that just seemingly just are overtly happy about things. They either overreact or they're overzealous, um, and that, I, for the most part, I think makes people a bit weary. When someone's that happy all the time, it comes across as disingenuous. Um, and also, I think, not just disingenuous, but uh, a failure to realize life as is, right? Things aren't always that great. Like if I were to get a free, if I were to get a free coffee, for example, or if someone were to, you know, I'm at a grocery store and they don't scan the case of beer I have underneath the cart. I don't scream for joy and be elated. It's more like, oh, that was really good. And I paid the 20 bucks today. So I think this, the Stoics, this isn't just negative stuff. I think when, when people talk about being Stoic, they talk more about um, fighting back against the negativity and becoming more calm and like just a general happier person. And when I looked on YouTube for this, it's the same thing. It's always, you know, how to fight anxiety, uh, four Stoic principles to live by that makes you calmer and blah, blah, blah. But the Stoics also want to say, well, don't lean into all that good stuff either. There's nothing you shouldn't be doing, it, right? The same goes for the negatives as the positives, but we never talk about that part. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's important too, because the, the Stoics want you to be at a very calm level, right? They don't like peaks and valleys. They, they know what's going to yeah. happen, but they, they want you to regulate yourself. Um, and the way I, I used to describe this to my students is they want you to be almost dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. I know it's wrong, but I had a beef with stoicism in the sense that they don't want you going through emotional highs and lows um, moments, you know, like a, a birth of a child might excite you. And, and it's amazing, but they, they don't want you up here all the time. They want you to come back down. Yeah. So there's that positive aspect of, of stoicism that people don't talk about that really changes. I think the more you know about it might change your view on becoming a stoic. Because um, if right. you're to embrace that fully, that also means, you know, calm your shit there and don't get excited or don't be <laughs> you know, overly excited about something or overly positive. Because if you're going to be consistent as a stoic, which I would probably say is almost impossible, um, 
you have to tamper down that positivity as well. Yeah, oh, I can absolutely see that. Um, the idea being some positives and even positive emotions can ultimately be a harm. There, there are a couple of ways that you can unpack that. But yeah, if you're one of those people that rides a wave of elation every time something neutral or good happens, and you come down from that, if that coming down process in any way harms your emotional well-being or your emotional stability, that's also a problem. It's not yeah. about chasing chasing emotional highs. The, the part that doesn't seem right to us, but fits right into the fact that a lot of these were Roman Stoics that were studying, is that there were, were very defined societal roles. So they had no problems with hierarchies. I mean, Marcus Aurelius as an emperor was very much interested in in the fair treatment of people like slaves, but at no point did he ever assume that people weren't naturally slaves. Yeah. So the idea there is, the, you know, optimism can be a harm if it prevents you from living true to your social, your hierarchical role. Right? If I think that good things are going to happen to me and I'm this, if I'm an optimist who thinks, you know, I'm going to work really hard and my life's going to change for the better and you're positive about all of that hard work at some point if there's the if there's a natural risk of you realizing that life isn't going to accommodate you and that will make you sad then maybe you work with diligence and rational understanding but not that positive optimism of things are going to get better things will always work out because that crushing moment of my life didn't turn out the way that i wanted to would unseat any of the emotional work that you've done as a stoic by realizing that if you do your duty and if you do all of the work that you're supposed to do and all of the things that come natural to you as a person, then it's less likely that you're going to have those moments of, of fall. And yeah, it's a problem, right? It's, an, it's a natural problem to us because we think, why not embrace the, the positive emotions and why not temper the bad ones and why not be an emotional person? Yeah. But for the Stoics, that's just giving into something that is a false belief, right? This idea that something that happens to you is good or bad is the seed of false belief. So yeah. the fact that my promotion is good, I got a promotion. The Stoics would say, you have a promotion. It's not good or bad, ever. It's this idea of withholding judgment. It's in Taoism, it's in Stoicism. It very much runs through a lot of, of self-help, too. Yeah. Even cognitive behavioral therapy, the idea of just tempering down those emotional swings, because the swings themselves are exhausting, and the swings themselves are bad for you in the long run. Mm. Yeah, that, that is a... That's a positive aspect. That's a positive aspect in, in small doses, I think. Um, if, if that's your personality trait of the wild swings, almost like a bipolar personality, it might be helpful to tamper down. Um, someone like me, who tends to be more or less even keel and then occasionally has spikes, um, stoicism doesn't really speak to me because for the most part, I am quite even keel, uh, you know me more personally, so you've seen me at my incredible anger spike. Mm -hmm. I don't think you've seen me at the, the, the super low spike yet, but you know of my, of my anxiety and crippling anxiety at some point, so it's a pretty low spike for me. Um, what we were talking about, and I know this, this, is, this is a little bit of a jump and a move away from, from what we're talking about, but if we're more on an even keel and if we're trying to be, you know, um, I think of it almost like a, a very placid lake, right? Very little rippling, occasional there's movements, but really you're trying to keep this equilibrium. Um, and it's gonna be good for you if you do. And I think most of us would implicitly agree to that, uh, that having an equilibrium in, in our emotional state is a good thing, but we, we want some peaks and valleys. How does 
you know, forcing this equilibrium, which it, it, it's a force because you have to train for it. How is yeah. that going to affect our relationships with people, uh, society in general, social organizations? What's the effect there? Um, so I'll preface it with part of my worry is the effect that it is a deadening of yeah. natural human state. Uh, humans, varying degrees of emotionality, right? Some of us are incredibly emotional. Some of us lead with the emotions. Some of us go through peaks and valleys. And occasionally there's, there's really good benefits to that. I know there was, there was uh, studies and work done on individuals who have like schizophrenia and bipolar uh, where their personalities go up and down, right? They have moments of, of just amazing uh, energy where they're getting all this amazing work done, including like works of art, and then they crash. Uh, and in those moments, they're, they're incredibly vulnerable, but they go back up again and you get this you know, ebb and flow of creativity and work. And we as regular, we as humans without any kind of uh, mental health issue, I think also go through this where stress, anger, anxiety, fear sometimes brings out really good work in us or good decision-making. Um, and being at this even keel seems to be less engaged in the world. Reason <laughs> is going to be a slave to my passions. And if I'm not passionate about a cause or another person or relationship, reason alone doesn't seem to want to get me to actually do anything so yeah yeah i mean i i have rational um there's rational abilities in me that say things like the black lives matter protests um other protests around the world they're they're good things but the passion in me says but i'm not going to them i just don't have that passion in me it's something i might be able to foster um but reason alone is making me kind of disengage with certain causes that I even believe in. So my worry is that if you know, we all, if the more stoic you are, the less engaged you might be. Uh, I'm hoping you can dissuade me from that worry. Oh, the answer to your question about peaks and va valleys is kind of it, scooped up into the notion that this is a very Roman philosophy, right? The idea being, you know, the emotional peaks and valleys are really no inherent value. What you should be focusing on anyway is duty. Mm. It's all part of that. The society is organized as it should be. Your role in society is organized as it should be. Your main duty to yourself and the society from which you have come from is to become the best cog in that wheel that you possibly can. Uh, I got another quote for you here. Our duty is to act just. Uh, our duty to act justly does not mean that we must treat others. Uh, as our equals, it means that we must treat them as they deserve, and their deserts are determined in part by their position in the hierarchy. And no objects and events, but interpretation the, the interpretations that we place on them, are the problem. So you know, if you're if you're talking to a Roman, it's very much like your your artistic your artistic contribution to our society is more or less meaningless if you're acting outside of your place in the society. But if you are of the class that belongs to the artistic class and you are acting in according to your role, so if you're engaging in artistic value, if you're producing art, artistic works, if you have those emotional peaks and valleys that feed your position in society, and for the most part, you can describe your overall state as content, I think that they're, they're happy with you there. If you're the person who is, say, from a lower class, or the labor class, or a slave in this case, 
and your peaks and valleys make you unproductive for weeks and months, and then very productive for weeks and months, you are probably no longer a good citizen. And mm. that's when they might, you know, pull you aside and say, "Hey, you need to like temper this stuff down." We we want more. We want more of that high high, and not so much of the low low. So figure it out. So I think. Um... I mean, there's obviously a, a bunch of problems with that. Um, I don't know what a, a contemporary Stoic with, with how how they would kind of circle that square, um, mm-hmm. right? Treating people uh, based on their their actions, their their merit, and their duty and their worth. That sounds fine, except when you have individuals who are placed in certain aspects of society that unjustly are there. Slaves, complete example, but modern times as well, right? Um, how we treat them is a bit interesting how we treat each other. How then do the Stoics progress? So it's trying to divorce myself of the Roman concept because it works in that kind of a system in society. But when you use it in a modern system, you have to export some things and you have to relinquish some stuff, right? So I think a modern Stoic has to have room for social progression and social change Otherwise, it is actually a fairly vicious philosophy to own, to, to own up to. Um, yeah. If you happen to be in that privileged group, yeah, sure, it's great to be a Stoic. If you happen to be, you know, the poorest of the poor, be happy with it. It's a little rough. <laughs> so how do we get social progression and change through a system that is based on that logos of the, the universe is a rational way and it's it's beyond our control. So how do we do things like change? How do we have, this is one of my problems I had when I, I was teaching it as well, is how do we get progression, right? How do we get through scientific progression, social change, if we're all kind of happy with what we're doing or being in the same state? Um, yeah. Progression might just happen, right? If you have really good artisans and mechanics working the way they're supposed to work eventually you'll get to where we are but i think history has shown us that um rapid progression happens when it's in times of like crisis danger or necessity like all the crazy stuff that we have now because of world war ii we have so many positive things that came out of such a negative event and if the world were really stoic we wouldn't have had that war um, we also wouldn't have we wouldn't have had all the good stuff that has come out of it. Like there's a lot of positives that came out of that truly negative event. That war was predetermined. We couldn't have had it any other way. Sure, um, but then our reactions were definitely all wrong because we all got really hyped into it. We got and everyone was scared. And yeah, sure. I think you see the 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 physics of the Stoic system tends to get tossed out very quickly. Yeah, right? I mean, I think I think the whole the whole notion that you had to have a physics before you could have an epistemology and before you could have an ethics was very much a Greek concept. It was very much a, you give me a whole picture of the world that I can accept wholesale or reject wholesale or I'm, or I'm out entirely right from the onset. Yeah. Because even if you look at the, the, what we know from history of Marcus Aurelius, who was the, an, the emperor and a stoic or tried his best to be a stoic, he doesn't really concern himself with the physics. The physics is very much, you know, I am born in a certain place in a certain time that I have no control over. I am going to die. People that I love are going to die. Those are the those are the events about which my emotions should be tempered or guided. Whereas he was also a very 
progressive for the time emperor. He was right smack dab between like, uh, you know, tyrants. You had Nero, and then you had maybe two or three emperors that were okay, and then you had some more that were just terrible again. Like even his son was a was a terrible was a terrible emperor in terms of very vicious and very very much oppressive. Um, mm. He is the character from the movie Gladiator, by the way. Marcus Aurelius is the one who dies, and then his son is very much mirrored on the son in real life. But he was a very progressive emperor by all accounts. He was very mm. cautious about how we treat our slaves, that we should treat them in a certain respectful way because they are products of their station. They're not just necessarily reprehensible people. You know, there's this notion that the slaves were the slaves because they're bad. But for him, it was very much the slaves are the slaves because that was the lot they were born into. So we should treat them fairly. We should still respect them because they are all individuals who have a share of the logos and rationality, mm. but they're still slaves. So you can see very much of the Roman element there. But I think you can pull a lot of what he's doing into a modern context. We might have a better idea now of what is and is not within our control as a society. Maybe we start dropping the, the physics and the deterministic elements to it and start thinking of it in terms of what social changes or what personal changes can I make that make my emotional state or the world better? And those are the places that I can put my energy. Mm. We should have a better concept of you know, somebody who's born poor doesn't have to stay poor to keep things, keep society running the way that it should be. We might have that now. We can see how social programs can improve people's positions in society because we don't have that clear demarcation between you know, the labor class, the merchant class, the slave class. We don't have those things. Yeah, And a good even contemporary example from, from Rome, Epictetus, one of the most, more famous Stoics, was a slave who earned his freedom. Because yeah. there were all different kinds of ways you could become a slave in Roman society, either because you owed debts or because something bad happened to you and you lost whatever happened, you could become a free person, depending. Mm -hmm. We have that notion of social mobility even then. It just seems now... You've got people that are very much of the opinion that we shouldn't do anything to alleviate social class differences. And then another group of people that, are, well, we probably could if we just decided to, because society isn't that black and white entrenched thing that we have to abide by anymore. Yeah. So I don't see the cash out ultimately being, let's not work for progress. Let's not do any of those things. But perhaps we work at things in a rational way, understanding that our efforts might fail. And then mm. it's the success or our, our approach to it shouldn't be about success or failure so much as the merit in the doing. Fair. Um, yeah, I guess that's one of my, my you know, gears I want to grind with them is when you have to, when you have to throw away a fundamental aspect, well, when you have to throw away their, their physics to, to get at that emotional control part, it seems it's a, it's a bit of a problem for me because the, the physics is what defines what you can control. So if you remove the yeah. physics, what you're controlling is now is no longer defined anymore in a clear sense of, you know, these are, you, you can define it in a negative way with the physics. Without the physics, it's much harder to define. Um, and then the idea of, of progress and, and change, I don't see it inherently in the system of a stoic. Yeah. Um, the, the the way that you spoke about it can you know gives me a passage of how it could happen um but i guess within the philosophy itself i just don't see it 
I feel like there's a lot of additions or ad hoc, which doesn't necessitate a negative thing, right? I mean, you look at right. deontology, which I mostly ascribe to, and there's some stupid shit in there, but you can never lie. Like, of course you can. Kant was an asshole. You should lie sometimes, Kant. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm okay with, you know, throwing out some stuff. I'm just worried that if we throw out something like the physics, you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater because you, you really do, I think, need the physics for the the part of stoicism that we all like and want to be like just when you add the physics to it then shit just kind of goes awry um, well maybe i was speaking too too glibly when i'm saying you can throw out the physics hmm. uh, certain elements of the physics make sense even in our world right if something has happened we can't change the fact that it has happened i can't True. change some of the physical events that are going to happen to me right some of it might we might see it as chaos that i got mugged while I was in a certain alley at a certain time doing a certain thing. But once once the reality of that physical, my once my physical reality is where it is, I am in a certain place at a certain time doing a certain thing, then the things that happen to me as a result are completely unavoidable. Yeah, I guess when, I, when, I'm, when I'm also saying throw out the physics, I think the physics get thrown out more when we're dealing with things like social equality versus individual life. It's much yeah. easier for me to say, yeah, what's happening in my life uh, or around me might be deterministic in even a strict sense. I, if I get mugged, it's, it's not because I went down that street that was, that was just going to happen. I happened to be on that street. But when I look at uh, like social inequality, that seems like something that can be corrected if we all just decide to correct it. But again, I wanted to bring in the, the, the master-slave thing, right? There's, we've had reason to correct this thing for hundreds of years. and yet Thousands at this point? Yeah, and we can't do it because enough of us don't have that emotional drive to do so. Mm-hmm. And under the stoic system, that heavy emotional drive doesn't seem to work. And also, I mean, it's, it is just the station of life, right? Some people are going to be in worse situations. And so long as they can accept that fact and they can live a happy life in that situation, why should I be trying to change it? Because it is an aspect of the physical world, which I have no control over. Right. All I can do is control my emotional state or my you know, attitudes and beliefs towards them. So why should I go out of my way to try and change the physical world as is uh, to make their life more equal or perception of equal um, because really happiness this is one of the last things I want to talk about. Happiness really just comes from within in this system, right? Contentment, yeah. happiness, and enjoyable life is something that you can find. Epictetus was the slave and, and he found happiness uh, throughout that and afterwards. So that's my worry about stoicism there is that I really don't know how we get things like social change and progress unless we have these incredible peaks and valleys of human emotion where right. something like fear, anxiety, anger, you know, righteous lust and power or whatever have you pushes <laughs> things. Um, it pushes stuff forward. I, I don't know under the stoic system if you would have that or where we would be if we were right. all, re- if, if, if Aurelius managed to make us all stoics and um, not the majority Catholic, like the Roman Empire eventually did. Where would we be as as a global entity? Would we be like in the 1800s, roughly, right? Would we be before that, after that? Would we have progressed even further? I have have no idea if we would even be in a better place than we are now. Yeah. 
Um, you would like to assume so. You mentioned you mentioned Kant. You mentioned most of most of the moral yeah. philosophers that you take up assume that at some level we are basically rational, and even the Stoics would assume that we are basically rational individuals with yeah. emotions that may lead us astray. And for the Stoics, it seems like emotions are definitely something that leads us lead us away from rationality. Yeah, and you would assume that social progress then wouldn't be a result of of strong emotional pulls. So much as people examining a problem rationally and then coming to the most rational conclusion. And a lot of people that fight notions of equality are doing so because implicitly they benefit from things the way that they are. Yeah. And if that and, notion of benefit and that benefit, then the notion that that benefit is good was not the driving factor. If we all worked to sort of temper that like enjoyment when I got things that nobody else had, then maybe we wouldn't be so inclined to want a system that rewards me specifically right? mm. we've talked about in a couple of podcasts this idea of this Rawlsian notion of of the veil of ignorance if you're if we are all stoics we should all be working from that veil of ignorance yeah i think you're right that would be Ideally, my, would my gu- the, you know the gusto i mean obviously you can't with the stoic system as it is or as it originated in rome because yeah. <laughs> it, it was very much like no no caste systems were done everything else is just you maybe we maybe we open up that up that up a little bit my final thought about stoicism is i'm on the fence as whether it's a kind of um, way of being or if it's better suited as an, an acute response to situations so instead of you know, thinking about what the Stoic would do constantly throughout your day-to-day life. Rather, when you're faced with a situation that might be uncomfortable or unexpected, that's when you start using your Stoic cap. Right. Um, I don't know if it's better suited for that or if it's better suited for the, the life, right? I mean, part of what drew me into asking you if you wanted to make this particular episode is Uh, There's been more and more stuff put out on stoicism that I've read and seen on YouTube because of just what's happening in the world around us, right? We have this unprecedented situation. How are we supposed to deal with it? Well, we have some stoic thought and process that might help you. And that seems like a really good temporary fix, or at least a way to, to deal with an acute problem. I just don't know how I would live as a stoic on a day to day basis. It seems too too daunting it's too much work it's like being a true (laughs) utilitarian where you have to do the math for anything that you do um and figure out you know all the cost benefits and the people involved it seems like stoicism is is very labor intensive yeah Um, so when i when i think of it i think of it as as an acute solution and acute solution for anyone who might be wondering is like you know to to a specific um problem or threat or instantiation of something you use stoicism to kind of help you get through it rather than as a daily global way of being. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's more of a, a long-term process or is it more like an acute mental action? No, I like that question. And I probably disagree with you on this one. So yeah, well, I can appreciate that stoicism might come across as something that is more of an acute solution or panacea to a, an individual problem. I think there's value in looking at it as a long-term practice because the idea isn't so much to stop the emotions when they happen. It's to train yourself to see emotions as they're coming, identify them for what they are, and then 
respond to them appropriately. So this isn't necessarily like a big event. It doesn't always have to be a big event situation. It can be day-to-day stuff like, hey, I went to go put my shoes on and I kicked them down the stairs instead. Some people Mm. are going to react to that really strongly. I'm going to be one of those people that's like, I'm just going to go back to bed then. This day is over. My shoes are gone forever. Just burn these shoes in a pit out back and then we're done. My life is meaningless. Everything is terrible. It's all over for me. Good night. And I still have to put my shoes on and go to work. Yeah. But if I start, so if I can start there, if I can start on that level of, okay, I'm going to get my coffee cup out of the drawer, out of the, out of the cabinets. And as I do it, I instead slap it across the room. Well, that's a thing that happened. Okay, now let's move on to the next thing that might annoy another person or a lesser man today. I have mm. to be in that situation. It's something that if I don't practice it in everything that I do, then it makes it very difficult to practice it when I really need it. I think you're right about that final aspect about if, if you're not practicing it consistently, then at that, those acute moments, it won't happen or come up. Um, I, I still view it as an acute treatment that you probably have to do more often than not. Um, and I would, I would argue that most people use it as an acute treatment, but they believe that they're using it as a long-term thing, right? So your, your example of going through the day and just shit happening, it happens all the time, right? I might wake up a few minutes late. How angry am I about that? Am I frustrated? Am I worried about work? Um, if I don't have enough literal actual beans to make the certain amount of grind, uh, you know, grams that I want in my French press, how mad do I get about that? That, that I think is, is taxing, but it's probably the way that stoicism is meant to be. Um, I think more people based on what I've read and based on what you see on YouTube, for example, and those are clearly facts. I'm just, you know, throwing out two pop culture things of how people view stoicism not academics but regular yeah. means stoicism i think is more of an acute treatment for you know day-to-day stresses but not something that you're yeah. mindful of when you're not in the moment and i think stoicism requires you to be mindful when you're not in the moment right you have to learn and, and you know, go, go through the bad experience or positive experience learn from it and reflect on it for the next time where I don't know a lot of people would take the time to reflect. Um, and this isn't an indictment on, on regular people. I don't do this either. Uh, I would like to think that I'm stoic in certain points, but I know I'm not because I know I don't have, I don't have the self-discipline to sit down and reflect <laughs> on, you know, was I really mad that my wife used my favorite coffee cup this morning? You're goddamn right I was mad and I'm wrong. I'm mad about it now. <laughs> and I'm okay with that because I, I don't, I'm okay with that because I, I like the ebbs and flows of my personality. Uh, it might be that some of us uh, just naturally tend to be more in flux and might need it. But this might be the first time that we've disagreed on a point. And and it seems like fun, we're disagreeing a, a, a over fun, And it's a fundamental point about the discipline. Like you, you, you seem to think it's, it's a long-term practice you should do. And I say, yeah, probably, but no one's going to do it. <laughs> More of a difference in execution, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting system to follow. It's definitely picking up steam, especially now with with COVID. So it seemed interesting enough to to talk about it in more detail. What exactly it is, because I don't think the general population has a clear understanding of stoicism. Just just because, like I didn't really. I, I learned some 
more details and nuances to the theories today. And I freaking taught the theory at one point. So. <laughs> it is one of my favorite during undergrad, especially because I did a uh, comparative philosophy undergrad. So yeah. a lot of my essays were like stoicism and stoicism and Buddhism, stoicism and Yogacara Buddhism, stoicism and Taoism, stoicism and, um, uh, not Epicureanism, although that one was another paper that I did, but yeah, mm-hmm. stoicism was always there because I was very interested in it as a system. Yeah. You gotta give up, I, you gotta give up some of it. You gotta give up I, some I of it if you're going to apply it. I think it's a super interesting system. Uh, I, I forgot that Zeno was the one who, who kind of generated it. When you started, when you had your story about Zeno, all I could think about is, isn't that that jerk that said you couldn't technically move? Yeah, you couldn't get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Because everything, every movement is a fraction of a distance and you can't get somewhere doing fractions of distances. Yeah, that's, he, he's a punchable man um, after that kind of story. <laughs> I, I, Hume did the same thing when he, when he was talking about um, in, in, in geometry and you know, oh, you can always have a divisible line between this and this. And it's infinite hypothetical cuts you couldn't do it in physical practice it's impossible but mentally you could just cut a line an infinite amount of times which would mean that there's punchable punchable people Um, (laughs) fantastic (laughs) so i think i think that's it for today um hopefully you guys like this we're 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 trying out different formats every once in a while this was much more of a a q a with some talking in the middle hopefully this was was interesting and you enjoyed it and david thanks for playing along and letting me grill cool. you for the last 45 minutes thank you for having me this was fun i, I like i like stoicism and it, it, you're right it is valuable to take it up because we only understand it through language now or it's being stoic to us in a common way it just means having no emotions and that's not really what the system is about at the end of the day it's about having the the emotions that suit you right that serve you if you want to have a life that serves you why not have emotions that also serve you and yeah. for some people that might not be possible, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting place to put responsibility. Like how much mm-hmm. of that is actually in my control? Because like you mentioned, a lot of us go with those emotional flows as something that is natural and something that is necessary to our daily life. I know yeah. in practice, as I'm getting older, it's becoming easier and more rewarding to realize when I am just having an emotional fit over something that I really can just let go. Fair, and the George Costanza of philosophers is the problem. Uh, George Costanza. We could do a whole week's worth of episodes on George Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess we'll call it for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you for having me. Always. We'll come up with another one in a couple weeks. See you then. All right.